everyone and welcome to BYOB podcast. We've got a brilliant episode coming up as ever. Uh, on the as pod ever. today. Yeah, same as it ever was. Uh, how are you, Miss Tussie? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, really good. Thanks, bud. I thought, do you know what? I haven't put it in the running order, but I'm reminding myself now, and we should say it out loud. Um, one, thank you to everyone who's reviewed the pod and given us a rating. And two, if you haven't subscribed, it will take you one second, but mm -hmm. we would really, really appreciate it. But a huge thank you to the people that we've kind of, we sort of chuck it in at the end of every pod and we're like, oh, if you could leave us a rating review. And then you never think that people actually will. So it's really lovely to mm -hmm. read some of the reviews that people have left us. And I promise today will be another fabulous episode for you to get your teeth stuck into. Sorry, mate, I, I, I took us off peace immediately but um how are you getting on otherwise mate how's life all good all fine um have you been uh did you, did you get a chance to watch time in the end have you watched any of that on bbc no i haven't yet i oh, haven't come i, on, I, mate. Come I on. i've been grinding into the ground so um but i will i will what have you what about you have you given anything else a chance i, I know you have been to the cinema but have you been have you given anything else a go on the old uh Netflix front. I watched Time, so I finished that on BBC. Brilliant. Very, very good. If you've seen the first series of it, just imagine same kind of level of drama, talking points, societal commentary, um, great acting. Is yeah, it's brilliant. It's real I think that, I've got to say, I really do think the BBC have massively, massively up their game in the past few years. Boiling I Point. I totally agree. Yeah, Boiling Point was brilliant. This was like very very good like i say i watched that thing the the english the sort of western thing of emily blunt in it really good really really good um i know a lot of it's probably because they're getting a lot of american coin now as well so that probably helps yeah because they do this whole thing don't they if they can manage to get it sold elsewhere then it it makes the whole thing a whole lot easier because we had so we had happy valley didn't we mm. um we had the tourist we had... Taurus was really um, good. Really good, the Taurus. What was Jay, the name Jamie of... Jamie Dornan, um, wasn't it? Yeah, was it Bodyguard? Yep, yep. That was really then, good. Then uh, Line of Duty just sort of got, took on a whole world of its own. So there has been some really, really... Line of Duty. I've not... I still haven't gotten into it, but it's massive, isn't it, Line of Duty? Oh, mate, huge. Like, absolutely huge. And it's a really, really sort of... It's just a really well-worked, really tight, well-worked group of series. You know, every series, its own plot, but they do kind of weave together and everything is really, really tight. And it does keep you guessing right the way to the end, which is really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, no, really, really good. And then there was one other, wasn't there? Everything I Know About Love that was very, Ooh, very well-received, but I didn't, I haven't watched that yet. But it is nailing it. I mean, it's quite nice, isn't it, to know that it's still possible to create a, a limited run series that people will enjoy and people will watch, not with the backing of mm. Netflix, Disney, Amazon. Well, I was going to ask you, where do you stand on Doctor Who, mate? Where where, where have you always come down with that not, one? Not my jam, mm -hmm. but I very much understand that... I would, do you know what? I wouldn't say it's a million miles from the kind of following that Star Wars has. Mm. Like a lot of people are just like... A lot of nerds. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of scruds. A lot um, of yeah, but a, a mate of mine, for example, like absolutely big fan of the pod, 
Um, so hello, Carl. He loves Star Trek. Right, Carl, like, absolutely loves Star Trek. Like it's been just a thing that he's always been like, nah, love it. And I went through. I went through a phase where I sort of like. I think I binged a load of it just because it's one of those things that there's like a million episodes of. Mm. Um, but it, it, you you realise that these things have very, very dedicated and devoted followings. And I think Doctor Who's quite similar, right? Yeah, people are very invested in the law. I remember going down this just, you know, as the internet does. I remember sit, going down this. I don't even know how I got there. I think it's because Reddit suggests you other threads and stuff. And I saw these right, people okay. getting into this proper... And you, know, you think of like football Twitter or football message boards, right? And you'll see Arsenal fans tearing lumps out of Tottenham fans and vice versa and all this type of thing. I literally disappeared down this thread of people talking about what would win out of a Stormtrooper and a Dalek. And uh, <laughs> and people were going, oh. mate. People were going deep on the technology because they were saying, oh, well, because people would also debate what you accept as canon and what. Because you know, like with both Star Wars, um, like the Star Wars universe, and with Doctor Who, you get kind of books and stuff written on the sides that are published at random times and stuff. And people will say, well, in this book, somebody talks about the way in which the stormtrooper armor is constructed and but then other people are like that's not canon it doesn't appear in the you know and you're like wow this is this is like deep so like you say yes it's a very strong fan base but the reason why i brought it up because i'm not i'm not a huge I've, I've like i've dipped in and out of it a little bit down the years i quite liked it when um that lad who's in the matt smith when he was in it for a mm. bit i don't know i quite like him as that you know sometimes some actors you just have a sort of bias for you're just kind of like oh i quite like them so i can happily sort of watch them um i watched i watched a few and i think for me the, the thing i've always found with doctor who and apologies to anyone who's a fan who's watching it i've always just found it a little bit too twee for my and i get that's that's oh, thing. really because do you know right. what i mean that's kind of its whole thing right sonic screwdriver and tweed jackets and quintessentially britishness but for me, it's just never, I don't know, it, the kind of quirky tweeness of it has never really worked for me. Um, but, you know, Disney now, I, I don't know if they have acquired it or if they no are way. backing it. Yeah, so this latest series with Shuti Gatwa, who's going to be obviously the doctor from now on, is tipped to be like big. Like it's going to be big, you know, cinematic level big. No way. Which feels like, right, in this roundabout point that I'm making, that Doctor Who is kind of famed for being a bit twee, a bit chintzy, a bit British, that maybe this big studio backing, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe that's not, maybe that's not the vibe, but you know, they're opening it up to a new audience, I guess. And But it's so nice. It's huge. It's got a huge international appeal. So one might be tempted to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But... Bieber done a lot of good stuff lately, right? So you know. Yeah, and also I'm I, I I'm really reticent to kind of ah oh man, this is a bit of a weakness of mine. You know that whole thing that we've spoken about at length before. If someone says, "Oh, it's really good," I'm like, "Yeah, we'll see." <laughs> I know instantly, sort of like unless it's you usually who says it, in which case I'm like, "Right, yeah, no, I'm down." But when when you have like loads of people telling you something's absolutely amazing, I kind of naturally I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, might not, might not <laughs> think that. So I'll just give it a miss. Um, and Doctor Who's definitely got that kind of, it's definitely got that air about it, hasn't it? Because mm. it's had hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Who did you say is going to be in this this new one that it's going to... Shooty Gatwood, like? so from uh, Sex Education and Barbie most recently as well. 
amazing bit of casting that is because that's kind of perfect right very quirky off the wall bit yeah. sort of could go anywhere with it which is quite cool well, it's good as well um, to finally have like you know a black doctor as well isn't it i mean that's yeah i think that's but it, you don't really want to lead with that because that i think like you say that does him a disservice because he is such a like quirky brilliant actor when you see his character is it eric he plays in sex education eric yeah, yeah. and i mean the other thing that jumps it's out so at me good. is i just sort of think of him whenever he goes to a, whenever he goes to a premiere or something like that i mean that's not not trying to be like i don't see in color but i sort no, of I know, just seeing him attend a, a premiere and just wearing something so loud outfit wise but just look you know those people that are just annoyingly cool yeah. You know, they wear something's totally stupid and you're like, how do you look good in that? And then if you even tried to, if you tried to perhaps wear like a hat, people would be like, hey, nice hat, dickhead. And I you're like, oh, okay. I, I can't wear a hat. No, it's, it's not for Hats, sunglasses. So ridiculous. And he's the sort of guy that could wear like a bowler hat and people are like, wow, nice. And then you put it on and you look like you're maybe like about to let someone into a hotel. <laughs> yeah he just he seems like you know a nice guy good guy good actor so good luck to him um and you know if that's the sort of thing that puts you off watching something like dot two come on get your priorities Bore off. as as is predicted you know there's this whole like it's gone oh, is it back yeah, yeah. Oh, why get out why? of it why get out of it what is if just you care bore off you know it but, just is uh um have you made it to cinema this week i have made did it you make it I? to go and see was it cat person you were gonna go it and was see? cat person yeah i did go and see cat person um cat person yeah uh, an interesting one a really interesting one it's based on an essay or like an article written in about 2019 i want to say in the new york times and do you, do you remember when this dropped on Twitter, mate? Do you remember the whole cat I do, person I do, thing? I, I have a weird recollection in the same way that I, if someone said to me, do you remember Coney? Mm. I would like, <laughs> yeah. I kind of like go, oh, that was a period of time where that was culturally mm. really significant, but I couldn't tell you what it was about or what what the actual kind of wider cultural um discussion points were so go on fill me in well it's a it's a long time since i read it um but i remember cat person at the time being a particularly interesting talking point for people because it was i, I think it was a loose like a loosely um non-fiction kind of story or tale essay written by i'm gonna find out who it was written by um but actually i don't know if it was anonymous um so so Kristen Rupinian, um, and it's a short story, apparently. It was a short story. 2017. Wow, time flies. 2017, it came out. Um, so the story it created, it was quite a big talking point because it was basically about a young woman who goes on a date with a guy, gets on really well with him, really quite fancies him, ends up going back to his. And then at some point along the line, just because of you know how this stuff sort of works, she gets like I think what people would call now the ick or whatever, you know, where she just suddenly right. is like in a situation where she's like, I'm not really comfortable with this. I don't really like it. I don't want to sleep with this person, but I've almost committed to it now. So goes ahead with it. And, it, you know, obviously it caused a lot of, you know, because people say like, well, you know, why are you calling this guy a rapist or whatever? And it's like, no, I'm not. That's not the point. The point is supposed to be addressing, I guess, power dynamics within society how women were are often made to feel obliged um to 
for want of a better way of putting it, servicing a man's needs and everything like that, even if it comes against their own, you know, their own wants, desires, needs, um, if you like. And it was just kind of an exploration into that. Um, and so the film, you know, it follows much the same kind of thing. It, it is, it, you know, the film is padded out. The film is, it does vary from the article. The main crux of the story is um, you've got the character Margot who is a you know, she's a university student. She's got a part-time job in a cinema. Um, and one day this guy, Robert, an older guy comes, buys some popcorn off of her. And she just kind of thinks, oh, you know, he's quite, he's quite fit. S- messages her mate being like, oh, I served this kind of hot guy today. Robert, who's played by Succession's Nicholas Braun. Um, and so you, you kind of see this develop. You develop to the point where he comes and gets served by her more and more. And they exchange telephone numbers and they text a lot and then they end up kind of getting to this point where as happens in the article where they sleep together and she in her heart of hearts doesn't want to do it um and from that point she kind of gives him the cold shoulder after that after they sleep together gives him the cold shoulder and what they're doing with the film is examining um robert's response to that um and Margot's own feelings of a kind of strange sense of guilt in a way to as to what's happened and I guess these kind of conflicting confusing kind of narratives around um it's not I don't want to say that there's any confusion around like issues of consent because I don't think the film is really talking about consent per se um it is more about like I say these kind of societal structures that are in place that tend to favour men in certain situations over women. Um, I think it's a lot of the the fear that women have of men. Like one of the lines that they continue to use um, where he's actually on screen right after the titles of role is from Margaret Atwood, which says, one of the things that men are most scared of is women laughing at them. One of the things that women are most scared of is men killing them. Um, I do remember that line. I do remember that yeah. line. And, I and remember that really vividly being quite circulated and it was quite I remember it's sort of like it really seeing that sort of written down and shared around it it's it's really quite it sort of stops you in your tracks doesn't it it does it's quite it's it's quite chilling it is quite chilling um and so yeah like I said the film it does it's it explores a lot of these themes and I think it explores it in in a in a pretty smart way for the most part um I think I definitely say as a as a as a guy watching it, there are a lot of these situations where you are suddenly like, hmm. and, and you know these are things that we've sort of spoken about on here before with Thelma and Louise and things. But it's it is interesting to have more of these kind of scenarios that things that you don't you just don't worry about as a man. You just don't worry about it, you know. Um, where if you ghost a partner are they going to come and like wait for me after work when they know I'm on a late shift and I'm going to leave in the dark kind of thing? You know, you just don't worry about that. You don't even, it doesn't even occur to you as a guy. So seeing that kind of stuff spell out on screen is, is fairly interesting. I do think it is again, you know, as I, as I said, a Barbie and I I dare say like it will not be well received by a lot of people, but I don't think the, the film can, and as the essay was when it first got dropped, I don't think, yeah, this will be twisted into, oh, it's just this man-hating piece of kind of feminist whatever. 
it isn't that. If anything, there's a lot of moments and instances within this film where it's actually very sympathetic toward the character of Robert because what it does is it turns the lens on society at large. You're looking at a guy like Robert who's a big fan of Star Wars movie, big fan of Harrison Ford movies in particular, and then you just see clips of all these different Harrison Ford movies, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, two two prime examples of it, when he goes to kiss a girl and they say, no, I don't want to, and he grabs them and forces himself upon them. And so people are talking about this is the kind of culture that a lot of men grew up in, that this was shown to them as romance. This is shown to them as the role of a man. This is what you're supposed to do. So it is dissecting us. It's not saying men are evil. It's not saying that this guy is terrible. For the most part of the film, I do my issue with the film came into, I would say, the final act, which as far as I remember and as from what I've read before talking about this, does not appear in the short story, does not appear in the article written by the New York Times when I feel the movie goes a bit Hollywood. I think it, it deviates from the script. It deviates, like I say, from these finely nuanced talking points that you see presented in a very accessible, very interesting way and actually quite entertaining ways at times um it, it is quite a funny film um that that's interesting almost it, lets it, it down it's a what bit. comedic elements yeah yeah it does yeah, yeah it does it does have comedic elements like there's some there's some uh brilliant moments in there the the her best friend character played by geraldine um viswanathan um Apologies, my pronunciation is not very good, but there's, there's really good moments there with her best mate, um, Hope Davis, who plays Margot's mum. Like, is there's some really good kind of moments there when you're kind of seeing the the generational divide in the way in which people view things. The mum just being a bit more like, it's just what men are like, honey. Come on, just be an agreeable woman. Don't get on the wrong side of them, and you'll be fine. Kind of thing, you know. So it's. It 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 skewers kind of different parts of women, different parts of feminism, and all that type of stuff as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a uh, it's 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 an interesting film. Like I say, it definitely makes you think. Um, I do think the final act gets a little bit silly, and I think it almost undermines some of the work that the film is doing throughout it. But that's just my opinion. And sometimes, as we say on here, you can imagine, you know, producers, writers, directors get that call from the studio and they say, nope, it needs to be more, it needs to be more, bang. Yeah. It needs to yeah. have more of a clear villain. It needs to have more of a, this type of arc or whatever. And it, it's got that distinct feeling about it, I would say by the end. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good film. I don't think you have to watch it in the cinema when it kind of comes to streaming or to DVD or Blu-ray, I should say now, really, shouldn't I? Um you could, you could watch it there just as fine or on your phone or on your tablet. But there's I think there's plenty to take from the film. Really good performances in there. Amelia Jones, who plays Margot. Um, I don't know if you saw her in Coda, Children of Child of Death Adults. I um, didn't. I didn't. She. I think she's like really going to have a good career. I think she's, I think she's really, really good. Um, yeah, I think she's a great, great actor. So... Looking forward to seeing more from her as the uh, as the yeah as the years roll on. Um, but yeah, cat person. There we go. It's good. And what? How would you rate it, popcorns wise? Popcorns wise, uh, let's give it a night. You know, sort of it's three out of five territory for me. I would say. Right. So you want those to come away, and you're like, yeah, there's, there's some there's some bits in there that I can get my teeth stuck into, whilst also at the same time not blowing you away. Definitely. Yeah. yeah definitely. Oh, nice. Nice. 
Excellent stuff. Um, was it just the one film for you this week? Just the one film, yeah. I'm, I, st- I, I yeah. still feel like we're very slow on the releases at the moment. I know we, we well, looked at it the other week. Five Nights at Freddy's now dominating the screens, isn't it? Incredible. And I really, do you know what I really want to see? Because it's, it's only got a very limited run before it drops on Netflix. Is um, is it The Killer? Fincher's new film, yeah, The Killer. I really want the to killer, see it. The Killer, yeah. So I that really is, but it's it. not even, that. that's not only limited in terms of the run, but it's also limited in terms of the cinemas, isn't oh, it? It's, yes, only in the wanky cinemas. Only in your Curzons oh, really? and your Everymans. Yeah, yeah, only in those. Curzons um, and your Everymans. Mm, I love that. That's that's mm. your like, what, does anything else fall into the, in terms of the like, like wanky screen sort of viewership, the WSV, what, um, uh, what falls into that bracket? There's a... Picture House? Yeah, Picture House as well, definitely. Picture House is another one, isn't it? Um, Picture House, Curzon, Everyman, yeah. anywhere where you can get wine served to your seat, I think has got to be in there. Anywhere where you don't sit on a, a chair as such, it's more like an, an armchair or a sofa, isn't it? That's what you sit on. Yeah, brick-a-brack, always a big giveaway. Yeah. Uh, there, there's another film actually that I, I do really want to watch as well, um, The Royal Hotel, which is... It's got Julia Garner in it. I don't know if you remember her from Ozark. If you ever, mm, mm. if you've watched Ozark, but she, you know, real striking, real kind of unique look to her, and real like I, th- I found her in Ozark when she was playing. I can't remember Ruth Ruth Langmore, wasn't it? Um, she's got such a captivating st- screen presence. I thought I thought she was absolutely brilliant um, in Ozark, and I, I watched her in. I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but I watched her in another one which was loosely based on. Um, the kind of the, the Me Too movement within Hollywood um, and Weinstein, um, but it was like a fictional retelling of like what was happening at kind of Miramax and Weinstein's organization. So she was in that, but yeah, the Royal Hotel, I think it's two American backpackers that end up in the outback. It's supposed to be really good. It's got it's got our mutual friend's best mate, Hugo Weaving, in it as well. Um, ah, fab. Yeah, so it's, it's, that's supposed to be really, really good. Really, really good. Um so I've got, I do want to get onto that as well. I don't know if you've told me this already, but if I could just give you two films that are coming out in the next two weeks, The Marvels and then The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, mm. are either of those appealing to you at all? Uh, the Hunger Games more than the Marvel. I mean, the Marvel, Marvel I'm just, I'm, I have no interest in. I really, it's completely. Will you go? Will you even give it the... Maybe for I'll, this. I'll take that one. Be, I'll it, take that yeah, one. I'll, it, I'll do it. I'll take the bullet. That's what it would be. It would be for this. That's what I'd watch it for. But you know what? I'll tell you what, mate. The boys, Gen V, even Invincible that you see on um thing, that kind of darker, more realistic take on superhero stuff, that just, that's more the interest for me, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I just don't know how much longer. I mean, I assume it will just go on and on and on and on and on. Because well, now they've signed up Robert Downey Jr. and everyone again, haven't they? They've just default. They've just said, "Oh no, we've realised we've it's dropped off without them." So now this whole kind of multiverse, yeah, this whole multiverse proposition <sighs> means that they can just make these movies now. So it, but doesn't that ultimately undermine the legacy <laughs> of? The, yeah, and the, you got to the end. You made it. Right, but you neatly knitted it all together. Um, but but, but mean, watch, mate, that Avengers movie that comes out with the original cast in it again will make billions. It'll probably, it'll probably, probably, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it breaks. Yeah, I'll beat Barbie, and I wouldn't be surprised if it beats Endgame. 
which is, I think, still the highest grossing movie of all time, Endgame. We're talking billions, and that's why this stuff happens, isn't it? That's why. That's well, why then it we then we have we do have some we do have some other other interesting films coming out before the end of the year as well. So Napoleon. lots to get into on Napoleon. on those. Yeah, I'm really buzzed for that. I kind of I do like it when suddenly all the do you remember the the year that three billboards came out? Hmm. Um, it was 2017, and I remember God, is that already sure. 2017? I know, isn't that awful? What? So 2017. You had in a in a kind of like very um, very kind of quick succession. Uh, you suddenly had this kind of big load of films that you had to just rush to cinema and see because they were all at the same time. So you had Manchester by the Sea. Um, oh wait, no, it was that it was the year after. It was twenty eighteen, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was The Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, Three Billboards, Get Out, Call Me by Your Name, The Post, and Lady Bird, all in like wow. really quick succession. It was such an incredible year in terms of best picture. That was I just remember that was absolutely amazing. And so the film I love Dunkirk, and Dunkirk barely even got a look in 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 that. I think um, I think Darkest Hour. Uh, Gary Oldman won for Best Actor, Shape of Water won for Best Film. And I think Guillermo del Toro, did he win for Best Director as well? Or did Jordan Peele win for Get Out? Possibly. I know Call Me By Your Name did okay as well. So it was just like Dunkirk didn't even get a look in and I thought it was absolutely incredible. one of my favourite Anyway, I I digress. Oh mate, love it! Absolutely love it, and and like it's sort of Nolan at his at his very best, isn't it? Like super mm. ambitious and doing the whole time thing as well in a different way, but very unique. Um, anyway, we we uh, we digress yet again, but should we move on to the film? Let's move on to the film. The film being why Drive. did you pick Drive, sir? I picked Drive because, like I said, I felt like needed a bit of a needed a bit of a challenge because it didn't strike me immediately that there were any real big talking points just from my sort of my, my memory of the film. Another part of it being that I loved the film when it came out. I remember really loving the film when it came out um, and I hadn't watched it for quite a few years. And I, I, I was scrolling through Netflix. I was like, Oh, drive. I want to watch that. Hang on. I know, I know, I know how I can incorporate watching drive into my, into my routine. Luckily, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I've got a revisiting movies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really interesting though that you say that because it was um, I was listening back to last week's pod, the um, Goodwill Hunting one, and when you were teeing it up, you were saying, "I don't know if there's a lot in this. This is going to be a challenge." And it was really fascinating watching. I watched it twice this week, so I watched it once on my own, and I watched it once with the missus. Um, and the first time that I watched it. I was like, oh, what's Jack talking about? This is unbelievable. This is incredible. (laughs) The second time that I watched it, when I knew what was coming on the kind of story beats of the film, I was like, oh, yeah, not much happens in this. Like, There's not huge amounts of dialogue. There's not huge amounts of kind of unpacking for us as an audience to do. But when you watch it the first time, it's just so visually arresting that it kind of just grabs you and you just kind of go with it. It grabs you, grabs you like a hammer to the knuckles, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is. It's. It's sort of. Um, you can't even that first five minutes. You kind of just can't help just being dragged in, you know. And I mean, we'll go into all of this stuff, but the cityscape, the soundtrack. That like, is it Nightcall that plays first yeah, yeah. of all yeah. when Co- it just suddenly starts showing it? LA? 
Yeah, so good. So good. And it's sort of very, I don't know, it reminded me a lot of, of a computer game. Did you ever play the game Driver on PS1? I, I did. I, I thought you were going to say Vice City, though. Or, or any of the GTAs, similar, to be honest. Similar. Any of the GTAs. Very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And it had that kind of, I don't know, it just sort of was, I don't know, it felt like he could just be, you, you could just be the character wandering around at night playing some really cool music and just driving about. And I've got some great stuff on that to come up to I, as well. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's funny you say that because I did, uh, when I watched this, I did think this is basically kind of a, a GTA movie, isn't it? Like this, yeah. this driver movie, like drive, I should say. M- like main character who doesn't really speak or anything. Although that has changed in the in the yes later gta's um but where do, where do you want to start with this mate where do you want to do you want to start on that um opening sequence or do you want me to, let me try and give let me try and give the, the i'll try and nail 60 seconds worth of, yeah, of well yeah that, that'd help wouldn't uh, it? me not jumping ahead yeah. of what we normally do <laughs> <laughs> i'll try i'll try and just get through this i should be in theory i should be okay here because there shouldn't be too much like to to kind of break down I think, uh, yeah, I think this should be sort of passable. I'm just getting you a stopwatch now. Right, timer, stopwatch. Right, so give, I'll give you a, you you good to go? Should I give you a three, two, one? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Right, and a three, and a two, and a one, go. So Drive follows Ryan Gosling's driver, who basically plays a, a getaway driver. He gives his um, clients five minutes to get in and get out of their job, and he's there for them within that five minutes. Anything either side, and they are out there on their own. Um, that kind of changes when he meets Carrie seconds. Mulligan's Irene, whose husband's standard is in jail. Ryan Gosling's driver kind of falls for her. And then he starts to realise that actually he doesn't just want to be a kind of one plus one equals two person. He wants to go a little bit further, but he can't escape his kind of broke lifestyle that he's got alongside Brian Cranston Shannon, who works seconds. at a garage with him. Um, they come into contact with a kind of mafia group and a driver takes on one job too many. He kind of reaches the point of no return and realises that his life is never going to be the same and he's never really going to get to live the existence that he wants to alongside Irene, who ends up sort of walking away from him oh bang on one minute that mate that is that mate that is i think that is the best spoiled in 60 seconds (laughs) i'm properly chuffed with that sort of just like as as you went that's 60 seconds i was like get in that was unreal fucking piece of that back of the net mate back of the net please big big Ange his aura's rubbing off on you mate yeah exactly elite performance that was just channeling my inner Jake Humphrey (laughs) 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 I've been up since 5.30 this morning prepping did you (laughs) did you see uh, Joe Barton Spurs fan writer Um, he, he did a tweet like on Halloween being like you know I wonder if Jake Humphrey's going to be handing out tidbits of <laughs> performance-related <laughs> information to the trick-or-treaters when they knock on his door. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? Treat. Cool. Sit yourself down. I'm just going to yeah. speak to you for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the treat, mate. <laughs> just unbelievable. Um, so uh, I, I will throw this out there because I would love to get your opinion on this because we both said, like, oh, Sean, what sort of to what length, uh, what extent there is depth here? Does a lot happen in the film, or do we just need to take it 
at face value and enjoy it for what it is. Mm, interesting. Well, I think because we sort of we spoke about this on WhatsApp, didn't we? Because we were watching it sort of not too far apart from one another, at least the first time we watched it, in that one of the things that really stands out from the movie is that it has a distinctly old-fashioned, for want of a better word, feel about it, in so much as it, it, it's almost set up like a contemporary Western. He's mm. the he's the quiet loner guy who's a bit of an outsider. There's the clearly defined bad guys and there's a clearly defined kind of mission, which is, like you said, very succinctly in the Gone in 60 Seconds, not Gone in, that's another car movie, isn't it? Spoiling 60 Seconds, that he will perform this function for people. People shouldn't mess around with him. People do mess around with him. And hence, he wants to right those wrongs. And there's, there is the kind of damsel in distress, for want of a better way of putting it, with, is it Irene, did you say she's called? Irene, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That he, and Benicio is her son. That he wants to save in a kind of, there's almost like, there's, there's a hint, there's a hint of sexuality between them, but it isn't explicitly about that either. It's almost like this guy who's a, like I say, this outsider trying to do the right thing by a, by a, by a helpless woman, you know? And that's what I mean. So it is, it is yeah. kind of, it is kind of old fashioned in that respect because it's, you know, it's, it's tied up in this, that the, the man is the physically dominant one, but he needs her love to make himself feel complete and everything. Cause he's this damaged soul. Um, so like you say, yeah, I mean on, on face value, it, it does. I think the premise is pretty straightforward, isn't it? And there isn't, there isn't masses of exposition as to why we're in this situation, why this driver is the way he is, what his backstory is, what his previous trauma is. It's just literally as Brian Cranston's character says, he showed up one day, he's really good at driving and he's really good with cars, you know? And that's sort of what we know about it. It does feel like essentially the film is one long kind of attempt of driver. Obviously, he, he... we're calling him driver because within the film he remains kind of anonymous, which is very, very crucial, right? The idea that he has no name and he's just man um, means that we're essentially watching him over the course of the film try and connect with people, Mm. try and have some sort of connection with anyone. But the connection that he has to the people that he's got in his life is not the connection that he wants. He's basically a a bit of an, an outsider that can't, find humanity within himself he can't find these crumbs of humanity that he really really needs um he's also a stunt driver as well i guess that's important the fact that he's Mm. a stunt driver he's the he's the nearly guy he's the he's the guy that wants to be kind of front and center but he has to wear a mask instead to do it so um i do think i do think it is I think when I watched it the first time, like I said, when I watched it the first time, I just thought it's so stunning. It's such a beautiful film to look at. And the lighting is very kind of captivating as well. It really like drags you in that you don't really question the story too much. You don't really sit there and go, well, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't really sort of like, why would he do that? Or why would he do that? It it just kind of, it, it feels quite like you're, you're just watching this guy trying to, be a normal human being and I feel like we I feel like we all have those moments in our life I got got a really good anecdote for you just on this it's something that I've noticed a lot recently just within presenting work that 
a lot of times I'll go to do presenting. If I'm presenting with someone who's never done anything before on screen, they'll say, oh, what do you do with your hands? <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, what do you just like? What do you do with your hands? And you realize that you kind of like the, you have these things just attached to your body, like your hands are just there. And some people are like naturally quite expressive with their hands and other people sort of just don't feel a natural comfortability with the idea of kind of using lots of body language or using lots of different parts of themselves to get across the feelings and emotions that they want to convey without using their words. Mm. So it's really, really fascinating that we we see in this a character who's basically like, could you show me how to human, please? You yeah. know, and like the only reason why he comes into contact with that is because he sees this woman that is living down the corridor of him and it's totally by chance, right? He would never come into contact with her if she didn't live on his corridor. And so it's just kind of like a chance happening where he, he's just like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. This is my chance to be a, a normal person. And we basically are watching his struggle over the course of the film to, to connect with other people whilst at the same time doing something that fundamentally stops you doing that. How much did you like his moment when he, uh, he just doesn't want to shake hands with the, with the gangster? He's like, oh, yeah. my, my hands are dirty. He's like, so am really I. Really interesting that, wasn't that? Yeah. Really, really interesting kind of way of doing that. Um, what did you, did you take that down as like, and forgive me if this is an insensitive way of kind of saying this, but did you take that down as perhaps some sort of kind of like almost Asperger's style, um, that him not wanting the idea of physical contact with another person? I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it in that way. Um, or whether it was just the guy was just grubby and he didn't want to. Maybe wanna I think him. he just. I get the feeling that he. The the character of Driver doesn't want to be told what to do by anybody at any point. Everything is on his terms. Mm. So this idea yeah. of yeah, yeah. you have to shake my hand as some kind of show of respect to me. He's probably thinking, well, I don't really care. I don't know who you are. Um, I just and I guess it's also just showing you again. I think it's kind of highlighting that he's a guy outside of the norm. You know, it's just it's a normal, pretty standard thing to do to shake somebody's hand when you meet them for the first time. And I think the fact he's kind of averse to that is again cements him as an outsider. Yeah, and and those kind of like basic. There's so many things that happen over the course of the film when you just kind of see. Even when that guy comes up to him later on in the cafe and he's like, "Oh, mate, we." Sort of did a <laughs> job together, and he's like, "I'm going to kick your teeth down your throat." <laughs> Wowzers, that's a reaction. Well, he says something like, "Here's what you're going to do: you're going to shut the fuck up, or something." Doesn't he? It's something yeah. like that. He says, "Yeah." Well, he doesn't. I think it's really deliberate that he doesn't talk for five minutes at the beginning of the film. Yeah, he doesn't say anything, and then we and we get that sequence. And I, I, I remember. I don't know if you remember this. There was a little bit a pushback on the film because a lot of people f thought they were getting Baby Driver. Not as in, I know Baby Driver came out afterwards, but yeah. people thought that's what they were getting. They thought they were going to get a really cool soundtrack, great looking, but they thought they were going to get a getaway film. Mm. They thought they were going to get a, a, a film like a, a computer game where he just has loads of jobs. And actually over the course of the film, he does what, three, maybe? Four, yeah, perhaps? yeah, not too many, and there is a lot. There is an awful lot of like pauses and quiet periods throughout the film where it really does. It really does kind of hammer home 
the fact that he is this outsider. There's not an awful lot going on in his life. Um, but then it does make the you know it does make the the action scenes really feel all the more explosive, doesn't it? How how much do you like the uh, the moment between him and Oscar Isaac's in the hallway when Oscar Isaac's is basically being like, mm, oh. "You're the guy that's probably been like banging my wife." Um, have you helping you been, my wife? Is that what it is? You yeah, not, yeah, 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 you're helping her out. That's really yeah. good of you. Yeah. <laughs> so good. He's brilliant, isn't he, Oscar Isaac? Oh, I mean, he's, that, just, that, he's, he's sensational, isn't he? You know, he's but he does that kind of like uh, I don't know what it, it, it that he does that thing where he sort of doubles down, sort of repeats words and repeats lines in this, and you are like that. This actually, to be fair, it's not just him. I'm uh, we should point out the others, but I swear about fifty percent of this film is subtext. Like people yeah, are saying stuff and the show. whole thing is just tension and atmosphere. Because even at the beginning where she, Carrie Mulligan's character says, oh, would you like a glass of water? And he's like, okay. You know, they're not even giving anything to each other, but you're like, what is this atmosphere? What That's such a gift, isn't it? It's such a talent to be able to convey that. Do, do you, but yeah, particularly in the corridor, that's fab. Do you think with him, with his character, do you think the absence of a of a backstory per se do you think that you know the the writers even have one for him or do you think he do you think the driver is representative of the best laid plans of mice and men you know that you I, have, I, that is such yeah. a good call that is such a good call just that you have this whole network of organized crime of these people that have this that they rely on these gangsters rely on being able to bully people intimidate people because people have something to lose the driver is that chaos element that has nothing to lose, isn't scared of any of them. And ultimately, because this is the thing that you start to think, right? You think about these guys, you think about these kind of big gangsters. A lot of what makes them scary is the potential of what they might do to you or the people that you love, their implied threat. If you yeah. have nobody around you and if you're not scared of somebody, really, when you think about it, it is as he does to it's Nico, isn't it Nico or yeah, yeah. It is Nico. When he takes, it? is that um, the guy that he takes out and puts it? Nino, 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 sorry. Nino. Yeah, Nino's um, Nino and Bernie. Nino and Bernie, like the two of them, really. When somebody fronts up to them, you suddenly you're like, they're human beings at the end of the day. <laughs> they're, they're still going to bleed yeah. if if you get to them. So I think Driver is that he does represent that kind of you know the the beast, the chaos element, if you like that. You know, some people are, you know, maybe more in tune to. And I guess this this is probably drives us in quite nicely to the next point, doesn't it? Like the, I guess the type of people that maybe, I guess, especially now, I don't think really so much when the film came out. I think we were just at the beginning of the, the kind of red pill movement on the internet and stuff like that, right? Mm, but mm. you would definitely say that there is a, a real aura around the driver character being that renegade, being that outsider, the strong outsider, if you like, that you would imagine ticks a lot of cape, uh, ticks a lot of boxes with these people. Yeah, and I think this probably would have been one of few films at that time that would have put a character like this, very few words, not much going on in their life per se, no backstory, feeling quite anonymous and isolated as almost the superhero. 
because mm. this has been pitched as a um, the, the the director. I always butcher his name, but I think it's Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah. Um, but he pitches this as a superhero story. He does kind of say that this is um, on some level superhero story. And and Ryan Gosling said, I wanted to do a superhero film, but all the good ones were taken. <laughs> so this is what I did instead, which I thought was quite fascinating. That is quite um, interesting. And, it, and it's rare for a character like this to be positioned as the good guy. Um, and I think there probably are. Well, I'm, I mean, it, it, this film has a cult following amongst a certain group of young men, I think, that would have been felt very um, on the periphery of social groups, perhaps felt isolated at school or felt um, left out during their kind of formative years going through to kind of early adulthood. And here you get represented on screen someone that is... Um, stronger and has more prowess because of their ability to disconnect from everything. I mean, we even start with that idea that you've got five minutes and I'm going to do my job and that's that, you know, and that keeps him safe and that keeps him protected. Um, and yet he can still get the girl, you know, mm. even though he's this isolated individual that has no real connection to other human beings, there's still a possibility that, you can be the superhero. You can be the physically tough person. You can be the person that everyone's afraid of and everyone sort of recognises their talent, but you can also still get the kind of dream girl that you think of. And I think it is really important to talk about the idea of this being dreamlike as well, because it was sort of deliberately made that way with a lot of the scenes going from hyper-reality and hyper-violence to very dreamy, doe-like, doughy-like states um, thinking of elevator scene, um, the kind of scene where they go driving, go down to the water with Benicio and, and Irene. And it kind of is almost giving you an idea of what, I think possibly what a young man that might connect with or feel an affinity to the character of Driver might like to believe is is kind of, the reality of life, you know, that that might be sitting on the precipice of the, oh, I just need to meet that person in the corridor and then that's that's me, mm. you know. So I, I think just looking around on on this and what looking through the kind of reaction to this, there is a massive swathe of people that really, really kind of see this as a, a masterpiece for very different reasons outside of the filmmaking. They just feel a real connection to it and a real identity Um kind of connection to it as as well what did you missus make of it so she didn't she didn't see that at all that's really interesting when i watched it with her i watched the second time she was just like nah this is sort of it's not much to this is there um and she just wasn't wasn't having it and then that made me question perhaps whether whether there's a little bit of me perhaps you know that that the whole kind of wow, he's cool, it's Ryan Gosling. And she actually said that as well. She was like, oh, you can very much see how for for blokes, you're like, wow, Ryan Gosling, fast cars, beating people up. Carrie Mulligan being obviously absolutely beautiful as well, was like drawn to him. And he doesn't even have to say anything. He can just sort of, he can just stand there and look great and that's enough, you know? It's, it's funny because that was exactly sort of... Charlotte's point as well. It's the scene, you know, when he pulls up in like a, you know, a Ford Mustang, 
goes down with a hammer. There's all that, you know, there's the, the room full of like, you know, women with their boobs out and he just smashes that guy to pieces with the hammer. And Charlotte was just like, oh, this is such like a sort of male fantasy man's film, isn't it? And I was like, I suppose, yeah, it, I suppose I, it is really, isn't it? <laughs> like, with, you know? one, with one caveat on that, in that I think that scene also does kind of, once again, that shows you what an unbelievably large outcast he is. Mm. It's very, it's very male lens. I totally, that they're both absolutely right on that. But he is walking into a room full of the things that he's supposed to desire and he's supposed to be like completely kind of taken in by. But all he can think about is smashing that guy up, mm. you know, and that's that like he just is, has this kind of like, very singular focus and I, again i think it just shows you that he's a complete loner i did think that scene was a bit gratuitous though it was a bit kind of like possibly don't need them all to be naked <laughs> here this is perhaps a little bit unnecessary but um it, yeah it, it it was it is very much a kind of you're right it's very much geared towards folks and i can see why that group of men that really, really felt a sense of like, this speaks to me, would feel um, very moved by the by the film. Where do you feel the character, I'm interested to know your technique, because we've spoken about Patrick Bateman before being a Sigma male, right? Mm, mm. Where do you think Driver ranks along, alongside somebody like that? Because I, I don't particularly... Because Sigma, from what we understand, it's still a bit of, it's basically like an outcasted alpha, right? Somebody that doesn't need the herd so much, but still is a part of, the, or is at least on the periphery of the herd. This yeah. guy is more like what we call an incel nowadays, right? Like, yeah. is that is, is that the term? Involuntary for- celibate, yeah. Um, yeah, because in, because it's not, he has the intention of wanting to be, part of the group he he does want human connection he patrick just can't this find is. it oh. yeah so well so patrick patrick bateman patrick bateman is aware that he doesn't actually he's sort of disgusted by the idea of humanity whereas um driver you can see that he does feel an affection towards uh irene he can f- he feels that he wants these things or you can he conveys that he wants these things mm. um whereas with the idea of that sigma male, it's very much kind of like I'm an apex predator, but I walk on my own sort mm. of thing. Um, and there's kind of like a knowing very much when the thing with Patrick Bateman, right, is that when he's having sex with the the prostitutes, he's looking at himself in the mirror, <laughs> which is, I mean, it's just quite funny. Some of the faces that he pulls at that. The pointing. But, um, the, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and like doing his bicep and stuff. It's just... <laughs> Like it's such a bizarre sequence, but you, you see with Ryan Gosling, and this is one of the challenges of the film. You don't know, you don't know how much of it is a dreamlike state. How much he's just is. We don't know how reliable he is as a lens to be experiencing the film through, um, because suddenly having barely met someone, it sort of shows you holding hands with her and then going on a nice day out down by the lake and it's sort of like okay do we know so so he he for me sort of would fall into that that more into an alignment with involuntary celibate people um and that perhaps do want connection and do want the feeling of kind of 
being a part of the group, but just can't find a way in, can't find an access point. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you've nailed it, mate. And I think it's it's quite telling, isn't it? Like you can kind of see his rage simmering to the point where he, he feels like he's making some sort of headway with Irene and they just get to the quite symbolically, really, the red traffic lights and she tells him, so my husband's getting out of prison. Uh, and he's kind of like, oh, what a reaction that is you know it's really like sort of you can see that his brain whirring and we just can't for us as the audience we can't get in there either right no and it's it it, yeah so i think that it's he knows like you know we can talk i don't think it's it's, whatever it doesn't matter we talk about all different parts of films don't we all the time when he smashes the guy's face in at the end in the lift he knows as well she's never going to speak to me again after this and I, he, oh. he knows it. He knows. He, I mean, I guess we're gonna we're gonna come on to talk about their chemistry in that uh, in a moment. But well, let's do that now. Let's do that now. I mean, it is just amazing, right? Go on. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, the 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 mediation between Brian Cranston as the kind of father figure and the way he's kind of ribbing him a bit and being like, "Well, you're gonna have to drop her home," kind of thing. And yeah, Ryan Gosling <laughs> being like, "Don't," you know, and stop this embarrassing is, me, Dad. It's when you see him at his most human, Driver, you know. Um, and the, the I, I I do think you know like the just there's this little bit it's like when he's saying, "My car um, doesn't have any wheels," it's, you know. I thought you should know that about me, and she kind of laughs it's 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 very it felt very authentic it felt very real um it, it led their chemistry throughout the film it made me question i said to charlotte do you think they hooked up when they were making this film because it feels like there's an extra bit of spice you know sometimes you get that feeling like you people have always that. Yeah. said that about david duchovny and Gillian anderson and it turns out latterly you know they both admit to the fact they were kind of seeing each other when the X-Files was being filmed and everything like that. And everybody always used to comment on their chemistry. Sometimes with some like actors in, in certain movies, you're like, feels like there is actually something there between them. And I really got that with these two. I, I felt they were so just like, I mean, they're both like incredibly attractive people. They both look good together. You know, it's sometimes as simple as that, right? But also to do those scenes where you're just standing there in silence, just sort of like, it's kind of like primary school style flirting, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that whole like sniggering at each other and laughing at each other and no one's really saying anything and sort of almost being afraid and not wanting to make a move or not wanting to kind of take a chance or a risk and it also being prohibited as well because she's obviously got a got a husband and a child Um they were just amazing. I thought I thought that was one of the real strong points of the film, and there's mm. so many elements of that. You get that first sequence when they're kind of sat in the flat and she offers him a drink after the car's broken down. You get the bit where they go on the drive. You get the bit where she tells him that her husband's coming back. At no point do they ever say anything to each other about what they're thinking. You know, it's all just looks, glances, laughs, nods. Um, like, and yet as the audience, we, like you're saying, I could sort of totally believe all of their chemistry. Mm. Um, and then we get the lift scene. I'm like, that is, that is one of the most like incredible payoffs, um, in a, in a kind of, of a on screen couple, 
you just you get that moment and you're like, talk about wow, the, that's the bit when the face the bloke's face implodes, mate. I was thinking, God, yeah, but, <laughs> that is, but, it, but that's that's the like perfect juxtaposition, right? Because yeah, yeah. it's like, Beauty wow, he's finally got what he wants, and then he can't that, and and there was the realization there that he's crossed. I, I sort of I was looking for the right phraseology for this, and I might be skipping ahead. Um, but there's a really nice Turkish phrase, and I don't know how you'd say it in Turkish, but basically they said the arrow has left the bow, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like that feeling of firing the shot, you know. And that is what when he kisses her, that's that's like that's the the last moment that he can have that feeling because he's at the point of no return. The moment that he smashes that guy up in front of her, she wants nothing to do with him at all. And so that elevator sequence is just so wonderfully shot, even down to the fact that they don't say anything. There's no, there's no dialogue there at all. And he's just kind of shaking and looking at her as she's backing away from him and realizing more and more that this guy is actually a monster, you know, and, and, and he's not what, she perhaps thought that he was as maybe some sort of potential partner or father figure to her child. He's actually the embodiment of everything that she's trying to run away from. It's just, it's such a magnificent scene and it's, it's so cleverly done because it's, it's quite claustrophobic as well. Right. But what part of it as well, it's, it's, I think, you know, we're talking about the sort of the old fashioned ye olde sort of values of the film a bit. I think in some ways she represents this, you know, I know she's got a kid and stuff, but it's almost like a virginal, pure figure within the film, right? She's almost like yeah. a she's she's not presented in a in a very like sexy fashion, if you like. Do you know? She's what I mean? she's, she's the life that he could have, you know, precisely. And I think she, she's an oasis for him in this in this world, this sort of that he exists within. And it's almost like he realizes that he's he's polluted her. You know, his his mm. world has has gotten to her now the monster inside of him is out of the cage and he can no longer he no longer has that sanctuary with her and so it's almost like it's over for him as well it's there's no way for it to hide that ultimately what's come undone through him trying to do his best for him trying to get involved in this situation to ultimately help her out to help out to help out her husband you know to help out standard that it's all come back to bite him it's all come back to get him and the 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 sort of kicker of it all is that she will forever think of him as a monster and she will also have imprinted in her mind probably till the day she dies a man having his skull smashed to pieces in front of her um, literally to the point of not it not being there you know yeah. just i mean that like oh, it's, hor- it's horrible that isn't it it is horrible like, like the sound the oh. sound of it between it's so visceral. It's so and then his visceral. sort of face being contorted and like as red and kind of clammy as it is as well is is really is quite harrowing. When did you um, first watch this movie, mate? Out of interest, I Around think I watched it. it yeah, at the time that it came out. Yeah. Do you remember? Like, I I remember being like genuinely because I I the, there was a lot of body horror stuff in the kind of late 80s early 90s david cronenberg john carpenter sure, those, those sure. type of films but i don't think i'd seen like a mainstream moment of body horror like that in a film for brain smushing do you know what i mean like real like you say the cracking visceral squelching 
on screen, even though it's only on for a split second, how you see his foot going through the guy's face. It's it's really, really shocking, isn't it? Yeah, it, and it's it's there's multiple, but you know when he's um he's just had his getaway after Standard has been killed, mm. um, and then they're sort of hiding out in uh, I don't even know where, where they are. The shower pipe going through the fella, yeah, the motel. Yeah, and, and he just takes it off and goes. <laughs> <laughs> and just shoves it through. I mean, it is so. But the sort of gargling <laughs> noise you hear from this. Oh, it, yeah. And and the same with Christina Hendricks, Blanche, when her head just explodes. Yeah. Head just and um and then we also get when uh Brian Cranston's character when Bernie goes, don't worry, don't worry, it's over, it's over, and he's like cut his literally mm. slit his wrist, and you're like, so this cold, is just isn't it? Though wild, it so is, it, and it, that's quite horrifying. Um, I wanted to ask you on this just before we move on because it feels like probably a, a good time to do it. Do you think all of that stuff happens? Mm. All of the stuff like him kissing her in in the elevator, him taking her on that that little trip where where they go what well, it looks like the the kind of big water underpass thing from Greece where or, they have or, the drag or terminator race. too <laughs> or terminator yeah, yeah exactly um and uh and then at the end do you think that he's he's still alive mm, interesting uh, i don't know you know i don't know um i know we are going to talk about the kind of soundtrack and stuff so i won't dive in too much into that now at this point um but just on face value yeah yeah i i think they those things maybe did happen but now that you've now that you pose the question it it, it you know my mind is whirring it does make me think what about you so well so i i i had reached the point where i was convinced that he was dead at the end and that it was just a kind of what would you call it an a, a sort of a, an appendix or like a a, a a sort of end sequence that they'd added in, um, and I'm going to completely embarrass myself here, but I'm trying to think of another one of those that you could use an example, and I guess possibly the most cringy example I can give would be Titanic, right? After she dies, and then suddenly she's wandering up the big staircase, and he's there waiting for her. I wondered whether it was something like that. But then this week, watching a load of interviews with the director and some interviews with Ryan Gosling as well, apparently this is like just, it, 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 their suggestion is that it's all happening and the idea is that it's it's meant to feel like a dream turning into a nightmare. That the the kind of the aim is for the character to kind of like try and connect and this these bits of dreamlike life that he's experiencing are just the prelude to it all falling apart. Um, and we're going to get onto this in a bit in terms of kind of like the nature of people. But it, essentially what they were doing when they were making it feel like a dreamlike sequence is that they were showing what he really wanted, like what what he wanted his life to be all the time. But it was just never going to be possible for a guy like him, that these things were only ever going to be fleeting. And so mm. the, the elevator scene is 
the best possible example because it's it's barely you could barely even call it fleeting. It's about ten seconds that he gets this really pure human experience before he has to then go back to being the very worst version of himself and someone that can't have humanity because he's got that within him. That's really interesting. But they were—I mean—they seemed like quite clear on it as well, which was—I I was actually quite relieved by. I was because I, I, I did want it to be real. I hate it when people are like, oh, and it was all a dream. And I'm like, no, it bloody wasn't. Mm. <laughs> it actually happened, you know. And because of the visceral violence and stuff, I, I kind of wanted that to be the case. So that was that was quite fascinating. Um, really do you want to take us into the soundtrack? Yeah, let's, let's tell, I mean, I'm, I'm interested, like, because I know how much you love that Brian Eno piece in 28 Days Later. Yeah. It feels yeah. like a lot of the um, the score in this borrows very heavily from that especially like the yes. moment of the kiss in the uh, in the elevator for example I, I was almost wondering if it was that piece of music from 28 days later it's so similar S- similar sort of vibe yeah so the apparently it's like the the music at the time i can't remember this but apparently the music at the time got really really big and it was called synth wave was the the kind of style of music and it was very vice city wasn't it Big time. Like very, very, very nice. Like, very 80s feeling. It was Miami Vice, all that type of thing. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I was gonna gonna kind of ask in it in a second as well. It's just that the the inspirations and the things that you kind of felt an affinity to, but it did remind me a lot of heat. The music, the kind of like Ooh, yeah, searing yeah. synths in in heat that you see alongside the cityscape. I mean, it really it's, reminds you of the, the as well though the actual the main tune from Miami Vice, you know, Jan Hammer's. Yeah, yeah. That it really the the Kavinsky night call. I think there's quite a few similar beats in that as well. Yeah, that what's there's so there's night call and there's another one called Under Your Spell. Is that the one where they're in the? Is that the one where they're in the lift, or is that at the end what he what's playing as he drives? And as he no, drives I, I, away, no, under your spell is that I don't eat, I don't sleep, I do nothing but yeah. think of you. That's playing yeah. when Standard's having his party, you know, when they're talking in the uh, in the hallway. Yes, and there's oh, also and then a real, real a real hero. Being. Yeah, that's a, I Amazing. like that's a banger. That's an absolute tune. That yeah, I mean, I mean, but you, you can imagine when the. I mean, maybe you go into films and you kind of think about what type of music you would like, but surely you don't know before you start that there's going to be a a song like that available to you, right? Or maybe you do. Do you know, do you think? As a director, you're coming in, you'd be like, I want to use that song, A Real Hero, which has the most perfect lyrics for any film almost ever it's somebody incredible. like tarantino does don't they you know he he uh, i guess you've, you've also referenced baby driver there edgar wright forms yeah. a lot of his yeah. writing a lot of his set pieces around certain pieces of music things like that i wouldn't be surprised you know nicholas windham rithin he's oh, wait hang on yeah he is that isn't it <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hard to remember but it, it, he feels like you know, in similar company with a, two directors like Edgar Wright, Tarantino, you know, art, very mainstream, but very artsy mainstream type directors, mm. you know, who mm. are who are really invested in all kind of facets of the movie. Um, they're not happy to, you know, some directors you can see will just be the director. They'll be there on set and they'll tell people what to do and then 
let other people get on with their bits of their jobs, yeah. the producers and stuff. Whereas there are some who are like everything. They are the movie, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it does have this kind of strange... I feel like with with Drive, it it feels very hands on in terms of the direction. Do you know what I mean? It feels very mm. deliberate. A lot of the a lot of the stuff. Well, it definitely because I, you you sort of made the point um, in the running order here, which I really agree with. Is that maybe the styling, like so, the aesthetic of it and the soundtrack does a lot of the the heavy lifting for the film. Like part of the film's strength is these these elements which is which is fine i don't think it is a criticism as such but because the movie is so stripped back because the narrative is so stripped back it's so straightforward right that these elements do do quite a lot of heavy lifting don't they yeah and you sort of get the with the i'm straight away my mind goes to that that sequence again at the beginning right where he's driving and we're getting the cityscape shots. We're getting the credits rolling on the screen and the cameras. I'm just looking at it again now. The camera's getting further and further and further out. Um, and then it just cuts to inside the, the car again. And the lyrics are kind of telling you everything that you need to know about what's kind of going on. And there's, we just see his hands on the steering wheel. You're not really getting too much. You're not really getting too much else. And we're at this point, we're... 13 minutes into the mm. film and then that's that's he then opens the elevator doors and then carrie mulligan's character comes in and you're like okay so now that there's that there's something else going on but that's a long time to be into a film without having any real sense of um like geography right it doesn't really tell you where it's going to go or what's going to happen it's just like there you go that's our that's our lead character and this is where we're going with it so i think to your point it kind of has to do a lot of heavy lifting and it has to be quite intentional with the direction. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It sort of has to be very prescriptive so that you don't get lost. I see, this is the other thing that I found really fascinating. I, I listened to Ryan Gosling talking about being at the director's house while he was kind of like just editing the film in the evening. They sort of became really good mates and sort of had a bit of a bromance, which is quite funny. He's I'll been in a couple, couple of his films since, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a couple of the videos of them sort of talking on, on in the jungle. I think you can always tell in junkets, right? When people like have, a, you can tell they're just enjoying being in each other's company. But um, there's a very, very uh, interested exchange that they kind of have just talking about the first time that they met. And they, the first time they met, um, they went for a drive, and um, sort of sounds a bit weird if i'm honest but the um <laughs> like uh, i think ryan gosling put a uh, rayo speedwagon on i can't fight this feeling anymore and the um god i'm going i'm going to keep butchering his name but uh it is how do i pronounce it come on brain uh, uh winding nicholas winding refn he just burst into tears and just started crying and singing the song at the sort of top of his voice. And I was like, immediate red flag for me. If mm. someone's in my car and they just burst into tears and start singing the song at the top of their voice, I'm thinking I'm probably not going to work with this person again. <laughs> for, but for yeah. Ryan Gosling, he was like, oh, no, it's actually like, it was quite funny and quite cool. And then basically they had a conversation about their experience together of just driving in the car was the film. It was this idea of just a guy driving in his car looking for meaning and looking for a way to connect with other people. So they had quite a sort of 
supposedly profound experience there and then and then built out this this romance off the back of it and and also made apparently made a lot of decisions together in terms of the way that the film was was going to move and things they were going to do um he let Ryan Gosling choose his own car for example so he said listen you choose what you want the lead character's car to be and we'll build it from scratch and you can kind of um, I think he has an interest in cars anyway. So he was like, right, we can redevelop one for you. So he chose the, what is it? Is it a Mustang? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It is a, yeah, I think it is a, oh, a Chevy Malibu um, is given the most screen time. So he's kind of like, he built that from built that from scratch. And there's also, I think there is a Mustang in it as well. Um, so yeah, that was quite cool. Really, really fascinating. Um, he, he didn't actually write Drive. I, d- I didn't realize that he didn't write it. It was a book, wasn't it? Yeah, was it, but I he didn't. He didn't book. even write the screenplay. I, I, I oh, did he, he not? No, I thought he had done because um, he, he generally does write and direct, as far as I'm aware. Um, I'm just having kind of a look at his previous now because I know he made his now. I don't know if you have you ever seen the Pusher trilogy. Um, no, I haven't. But people like loved. It. I, I watched a scene from it for this when he sort of like the guy grabs the intestines out, like yeah. he's sort of dragging his intestines out. Yeah, Mads Mads Mikkelsen, um, I think also made his name in the Pusher trilogy as well. It's uh, yeah, they're pretty 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 intense films. And close to this, close to Drive, I would say in uh, Drive's almost like a. It feels like it's part of the pusher universe, if you like. Do you know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to something yeah. like, you know, Only God Forgives, which I, I really didn't think was that great. Um, and Neon Demon as well, which had some good ideas in there, but it, it still, I think, for me, was a little, fell a little flat. And it feels like he hasn't done anything like massive since, really, has he? No, I thought that. Like, nothing to write home about i mean the in, in terms of the screenwriter front i did watch actually an interview with hossein amini who was talking about um uh he was talking about how good it was to work with ryan gosling because I, I suppose if you're the sort of writer that wants people to come in and kind of have a dialogue with you then it'd be a really nice thing if you're the sort of writer that's like leave my writing alone it's perfect then probably would have hated it mm. but um but no, I thought this was, I thought that like, it really comes across that Ryan Gosling clearly loves doing the character. And it is a bit of a, it does feel like the sort of thing that when they were doing the casting for Blade Runner, it was probably like, yeah, he's got this. This is exactly what we want. That kind of like ability to go full, like emotionless, but at the same time, giving you lots underneath, which mm. is really cool. Um, mate, what were they like? Very quickly, I wanted to just touch on the the things that, come to mind when you watch the film like the other things so we said um Miami Vice but was there anything else that you sort of naturally like oh that reminds me of this well definitely GTA like Grand Theft Auto really 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 um made me think of and I I think the other big one is Taxi Driver as well yeah I feel like it's, it's borrowed like from a lot but he's not obviously the driver in this is almost like an inverse of uh robert de niro's character in taxi driver in that you know he he can't he can't stop talking can he? in in, <laughs> in taxi driver but yeah I, th- I think that kind of you know the lone wolf incelly type vibe about it and being the hero though being this kind of you know that the violence the ends justify the means he's there because he's trying to save somebody so he can kind of let his psychopathy out on people and it's okay in this instance it's 
you know, it's that whole kind of remember the series Dexter. It's kind of got a bit of yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a feel yeah. of that about it in a way. Doesn't it just yeah? And then it's just it's that there's one final thing on on that on that that I didn't know there was taking the piss, and I think he might have been, but he said there was comparisons. Um, director said there's comparisons between this and Pretty Woman because the idea in Pretty Woman is that it's a really, really sort of grubby, um, dark theme that has the potential to be turned into into a fairy tale. Like I was, like I was saying before, is that sort of idea that the idea of prostitution and that world of drugs in in Pretty Woman is taken and it's turned into something quite uplifting and quite upbeat and he sort of said this is a similar kind of thing that you take a dark theme and turn it into a fairy tale but with one kind of caveat in that he reaches the end of the film and he realized that he's pretty much told verbatim any dreams that you have put them on hold mm. for the rest of your life because you're going to be looking over your shoulder which was which is i thought was 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 really really cool and that kind of leads on to one final point that i wanted to make if that's all right um around the bomber jacket right i'm, I'm very in I'm, i've been waiting for this one mate when i saw this on the running order and i asked you i think i asked you expressly are you going to go full philosophy wanker on me? And, <laughs> so, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Yeah. Just so anybody listening, like I'm, I'm all here for this. So please. So I didn't know. So do, do you know the story of the frog and the scorpion? I don't. I don't. Okay. So I'm, I'm a little bit torn on this because I've seen conflicting stories about whether this was intentional or not. I think I, I believe it is intentional, but... Ryan Gosling says that he wants to be a superhero, but all the good ones were taken. So instead, this is what I did. And so he doesn't have a cape, but he does have a bomber jacket with the scorpion on the back. Mm. Um, and the idea of the scorpion is kind of twofold, right? Because scorpion is dangerous. The scorpion will sting you. But also the idea of the scorpion being on the back of the jacket is supposed to align with a kind of fable of the scorpion and the frog. And the story goes that the uh, a, a scorpion and a frog are looking to cross a river and the scorpion says to the frog, look, will you carry me across um, because I can't swim and I want to get to the other side? And the frog says, no, I won't carry you across because you'll sting me and I'll uh, like I'll die. And then the scorpion says, well, that defies logic, because if I sting you, we'll both die because we'll both drown. Right. So you'll die from the sting and then I'll drown because I'll be in the water. And so the frog agrees and says, OK, fine. Like that logically makes sense. And they get halfway across the water and then the scorpion stings the frog. And then as the, the frog is dying, he sort of turns to the, the scorpion and says, why did you do that? And he said, I'm sorry, it's in my nature. Mm. Um, and it's kind of borrowed. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of examples of this in history. So there's, there's, I think it's from Russian literature originally, but there's an awesome Wells film called Mr. Arcaden in 1955, which I kind of looked to see if I could find where it's used in that. Um, and Orson Welles actually 
delivers the the speech with a slight difference. He sort of says it's in my, it's, I, I don't think he says it's in my nature. He sort of says something else. He kind of um, says it's in my character and not in my nature, but I believe the original is slightly in my nature. And the point, I guess, of having the scorpion on the back of Driver is that he is trying to go through his life trying to find an escape from the person that he is and mm. the life that he's leading. And at every moment, unfortunately, he puts that bomber jacket on and he is the scorpion. It's mm. in his nature. He can't fight his nature. That's just who he is. And then we get a very literal kind of version of this when he kills the character of Nino because he literally sits on top of him and drowns him in the water. So he is the scorpion. Um, and and I think that's why you see in the elevator scene, it's so visceral and so brutal because it's the the understanding that this is the end. Like there is nothing that can, he cannot fight his nature. And it's the realization there. Um, and I think the first real moment where it's the beginning of the end and you're starting to see it is that someone comes up to him and reminds him in the cafe, says like, we did that job together. And it's kind of like the realization there that it's like, oh man, like I'm always that guy, whether I want to be or not that's who I am. And this world that I want to create for myself is never really going to be a thing. Yeah. It, it, exactly. It's just a fantasy. It's just a dream that I'm going to chase and a fairy tale that I'm going to chase. And then he puts the jacket back on and he's sort of back into the, the reality, um, which kind of then leads to the end. And you sort of then get this, this conflict at the end of actually, has he found a way out? You know, has he found a way to get away with, with this because there's no loose threads? I, I know we're gonna we're gonna touch on this in a bit, so I, I don't want to jump too far ahead. But there is, in a way, this it's you know it's a kind of it's an almost, and I, I kind of get that from Wyndham Ref in a bit. Um, it's almost a bit nihilistic though, isn't it? Like the, yeah. it's, when you look at the kind of the movie that way, and it, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. But let, let's save let's save that because I do know this is a topic that we're gonna we're going to dive into um, after we've done our MVPs. So I feel like I want to give a big assist here. I don't actually know. I'm really torn. Have you got a winner? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I guess like the amount of screen time and everything should suggest Ryan Gosling because he is very, very good in it. But like, I mean, I don't think he's the winner though. Is I know. He? I, I mean, like Oscar Isaacs is like incredible for, he's got such a short amount of time on screen, but he's brilliant. Brian Cranston as well. And this is Brian Cranston just, I think as like Breaking Bad was starting to amp up as well. So yeah, the film did pretty... remind me a bit of Breaking Bad as, breaking bad as well. <laughs> he was kind of, well, he kind of is Breaking Dad in this, isn't he? But he's, Breaking um, Dad. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, it was when he was kind of pivoting from, Hal in Malcolm in the Middle to doing these sort of I mean, serious amazing. roles. I mean, he is, I mean, I've got to say Brian Cranston is sensational. I'm not saying anything new that nobody else, but we watched him um, live in a, in the, in the theater adaptation of network. I managed to get some tickets for it at the national theater, which was, it was phenomenal. It was so well done. It was one of the most like movie, like theater experiences I've ever seen, which, I think some people criticised it for on the basis of that because it's supposed to be two different art forms and I understand all that. However, 
judging it on was it enjoyable was it good was it great yes and brian cranston was absolutely sensational in that he's absolutely sensational in this it's so i don't know it's so awesome that he felt that he had to step away from hal a bit and isn't it and flex himself a bit because he he obviously had something inside of him it was like i'm not showing the world the best of myself you know and yeah, he's and brilliant. Probably, he's brilliant in Malcolm in the in Middle that. as well. Yeah, How he's yeah. brilliant. And the show is brilliant. I don't know if you've ever watched any of that again recently because we were talking about Scrubs and all that type of stuff. It's being a happy place thing. During lockdown, uh, Charlotte and I actually watched quite a bit of Malcolm in the Middle again. I think oh, it, really? I think oh, that's it's on, so good. Is it on Disney Plus? I think it, it came on one of the streamers and we were like, oh, let's watch a bit of it. It's brilliant. It's still aged very well. Like it's really, really good. Um, and it he's was unbelievably tongue in cheek as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was a real. Um, that was very similar to The Simpsons in that it sort of felt like it had something for everyone in that. Precisely. Really, felt it had some like that like your dad could watch so it with you. So many and adult jokes up. in it that I didn't remember when I was watching it as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Basically, and, uh, moments of like the parents trying to work out when they can sneak off for a shag when the kids aren't in. And st- <laughs> do you know what I mean? That type and, of stuff. It's like And her like being on the verge of complete meltdown and the yeah. kid, like you as a kid being like, ha ha how silly. You can imagine your mum watch it being like, oh my God, that is my life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so as a oh, Ron Perlman Can I give as well you one other? Go on, yeah, go on. I think Albert Brooks is Bert, uh, He's Bernie brilliant, Rose. I think he might win for me just. I think he nicks it on the line um, because because we get with him, we get the brilliant payoff of the kind of like death scene at the end. He is scary in the sense that he just, the way that he uses the knives and so neatly mm. arranges them and stuff. But also we get the depth the other way, right? You, you, you kind of get that depth when he's going and he's intimidating Brian Cranston's character he sort of goes both ways with it and and he almost is a he almost is the 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 counter to uh to driver he's really the the one he's got to get in the end so i kind of feel like maybe he just nicks it just yeah he is he is brilliant he's so i mean oh the scene where he's like stabs the fork in the bloke's eye and the way he just does oh, it so God, coldly yeah. so ruthlessly like you say after he's that just bit, killed no loose ends yeah <laughs> And again, it's that sound, isn't it, of him <sighs> into his eye, <laughs> and the bloke this howling in like agony, you know. Um, I think, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, big shout out for our books, and yeah, Oscar Isaac's as, a, as an assist for me. I think that's what. I'll, should I'll we? Say. We should put this to the put this to social, shouldn't we? We should actually let other people decide hmm. decide on this one. Um, we'll give it give it a shout. And then maybe on next week's pod, we can say who won. I've got to give a shout out for Ron Perlman as well for his, this is one fine ass pussy wagon, motherfucker. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, when someone is just not like, just not that guy. Uh, yeah, and you're literally, you literally, I was like, that is so left field. Uh, like, yeah. it was, it just, and he's in the kind of a law track suit yeah. as well. Yeah. So wild. So fine. wild. Good shit. Um, Right, so find one on war crime. Ooh, yeah, I think there's yeah, there's a fair bit in this, isn't there? I think like I, I think what I would what I would first jump in on it, and we've already spoken about this is it's quite old fashioned. I think I think yeah, she is yeah. this kind of helpless damsel in distress, and she's got all these men buzzing around her. She doesn't really have any agency of her own. She doesn't really have any you know you just know she's this woman with her kid and she needs to be looked after by all these different men 
that kind of yeah. now. And I was watching that. I was a bit like, ooh, I don't, I don't know how well that's kind of. I mean, she's the solitary. She's the only woman, really, with the exception of the woman who gets her head t- just absolutely yeah. obliterated. Blanche. <laughs> she, Is it Blanche? Yeah, Blanche. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, look at her. She's and, beautiful. And Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, the way that he says that, yeah. and, he's, and then he tells her to like piss off or something, go yeah. get him a coke or whatever it is. But um, the the uh, I I think the fact that Carrie Mulligan holds her own, and you still think her performance is really exquisite, tells you a lot about her as a performer in in this kind of environment. She does, she's very very good, but she is that character is very much there to to kind of be there to remind driver what he's not going to have mm. you know as opposed to actually having anything of of her own we um i think the the violence is gratuitous and it's there to make a point i think um it's there to what well, it's, it's there for a stylistic purpose at least is is my point that it's to punctuate these long like we say these long scenes these quiet scenes of driver's character that he can flip from being the coolest calmest guy in the room to suddenly this monster this out of control type animal so it really heightens who he is but it totally glorifies it doesn't it It, you don't yeah you don't really feel that the point is explicitly made that ryan gosling's character is unhinged that he's a psychopath you know it's it's almost like us and it does kind of go back to this old western type value of yeah something like high plains drifter or something like that high plains drifter which again yes i know it was made 50 odd years ago but you know the opening scene is clint eastwood being a man's man coming into town raping a woman and he's the hero of the piece do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he rapes a woman because she's like mouthing off to him. And you, yeah. I remember I watched this because I watched High Plains Drifter and like all those old Clint Eastwood movies with my dad when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? Because they would just be on Saturday afternoon sort of thing when it's summer holidays or whatever, bank holidays and stuff like that. Watch a Clint Eastwood movie with your dad and stuff. And I remember watching it back being like, oh, High Plains Drifter, what a film. And watching this thinking, Jesus Christ, like when people say things don't age very well, I mean, like, come on. And I, I, going. Yeah. And I do think the, I do think like the, the, the directorial style, the story writing it is, I, I do really think it is like a contemporary Western, this story. And I, I, and so I do understand that it is a bit more straightforward. You kill the bad guys, but like you say, the violence the is lens, so right. grotesque. Yeah, it's so grotesque and it's so twisted. We just, you know, smashes a fella's face in, you know? And he's... It's the point of it not existing anymore. He's the no, hero. He's presented as like the good guy. Well, exactly. he had to do exactly. he had to. He had to do that. And I guess someone would argue, well, no, he didn't. And that's why, you know, Irene leaves him. But you still kind of are rooting for him, aren't you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing on this, and I'll, I'll do this very quickly because I'm aware that I've been speaking a uh, No, no, lot. please do, please do. Um, so I, I, just in research for this, I found that there's a, a Reddit sort of thread called Doomer, um, which is about, and it's kind of a group of people that feel an affinity with this, uh, with this film and the character, perhaps not as closely as maybe that you might say, 
about the idea of a of an incel person, but it the kind of claim I think on uh, Duma Reddit is that this is um, a film that is very very pessimistic and bleak about life, um, and I think. Again, I, I don't want to claim that I know lots about this because I only found out about this in in researching for the for the pod. But it's a group of people that do feel that way and do feel very pessimistic about life and that there's not many ways out for them in their life. And so, is, is this, it a, a form of nihilism then? Or yeah, kind kind of. Um, it's this this idea that there's like it's, it's kind of like a. I guess it's a it's almost a depression or a fatalism about things in the world that you're like, there's just no point in trying to fix anything because it's all broken. There's nothing we can do. Um, and that ultimately human beings are just going to run their course and that's the end of it, you know, but there's no upside. It's all just downside. Everything is doom and gloom. Hence the idea of uh, them being called doomers. Um, and so I think there's just an interesting discussion or just an interesting asterisk to put against this and just the way that it presents his world and the way that it kind of doesn't really give him any escape. You know, there is no hope for this guy. And because of the characteristics that the character has, very quiet, socially awkward, has problems connecting, um, I think there's perhaps just a slight suggestion here that it presents this lens that possibly people that share those characteristics might not have any way ever of getting out of that spiral, which I just think that's worth noting and just worth kind of paying attention to. Do you know where I'd maybe, because I, I said myself that maybe the movie was a bit nihilistic and just listening to you talk there, I think there, is, there are certain things that I would disagree with slightly, not of anything you've said, but just with the idea that this film is, uh, you know, intrinsically nihilistic or a doomer film in so much as okay i think like the proposition we can take on board is that this is a guy who has tried to make his situation better and ultimately it has fallen to pieces and we can take that yeah. as as an example of the futility of existence the futility of trying you know as homer simpson says you know you've learned a lesson here today the lesson is never try um but i, I think <laughs> What it is presenting, even though it is presenting this the harshest possible type of reality for somebody's best laid plans not coming to fruition, is still showing you it's a guy who obviously has this monster inside of him, obviously has no real social skills, um, is potentially neurodivergent or something. But I don't, I don't think we mm. need to go into that because neither of us are an expert no, in that no, field, exactly. and it's presented in a. It's if he is, it's presented in a very Hollywood fashion you know as we've commented on previously with certain other movies that do this um but he is a guy that has has given whatever his lot in life is you would imagine some type of past trauma or something to be somebody who is so disconnected from everyone and sure. everything and have this beast inside of him still holds on to that hope that he can make something better that he can still maybe fall in love and you know, have a happy life for himself. And I think it's quite telling the fact that when he's driving off into the darkness right at the very end, whether he dies or whether he doesn't, what's ringing around is the the song again, real human being and a real hero, that it's almost like it didn't come to, you know, it, it didn't end in a way that he wanted it to, but he at least 
has a, 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 a small slice of happiness. He said to her, didn't he? You and you and what's the name of the you're kid? out? Yeah, Benicio, no, no, you're you and Benicio, you're the time I spent with you is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. best moment of my life. So he's at least experienced that moment of joy, and maybe that's what the film is about. Maybe the film isn't about a happy ending, but it's about it's about the kind of joy you can experience almost from out of nowhere in life that then obviously he returns back to this norm of being in this pit of misery, this darkness, but he has still had that joy. So, and I I think a nihilistic movie would, and a doom movie would not do that. It would show you, no, it's all pointless. It wasn't, there, there was nothing there. There was no joy there. And that can never happen to anybody because we just are microbes on a spinning rock in the endless blackness of space. And when we die in a, in even not two generations time will be forgotten, let alone a million years when the sun explodes and all these type of themes that stuff like nihilism focuses on. A film like like Melancholia by Lars von Trier, which I found so upsetting on, on many different <laughs> levels watching that film. Um, that's one I would never want to watch again. I'd never want to do that to myself. Um, uh, another horrible like, nihilistic film that I found... Um, it's, uh, it's it's uh, Jesse Buckley's in it. It's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It was on Netflix. Uh, it's by the guy, what's his name? He did um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as well. Um, Dan <sighs> Eternal Sunshine. Uh, uh, the right it start. is, um, oh, brain. Uh, director uh, My- Michael Gondry, Michael Gondry, and screenplay by Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, that's who it was. Charlie Kaufman that did I'm Thinking of Ending Things as well. Again, another horrible, mean-spirited, nihilistic doomer, as as it seems to be here moving. I I don't think Drive is quite that. I think it... it, No, I think you're right. I think it has enough elements, doesn't it? it, it, And it definitely shows you life is hard and not everybody gets a happy ending, but it still shows you that... Yeah, look, come on. We we do this almost every single episode, mate. But, you know, for a Spurs analogy, we didn't win the Champions League, but we still had that (laughs) night in Ajax, right? We still had that night in Amsterdam. Yeah, we got the journey. So, you know... Didn't get the destination, but we got the journey. There we go. Um, We we, we had our faces smashed in 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 the lift... 26 seconds into <laughs> yeah, the final by Sissoko <laughs> was our face being smushed into the ground of the lift <laughs> as as the Champions League trophy backs away from us looking on thinking what <laughs> might have been the doors closed <laughs> <laughs> so spot on Pochettino um, dead in a parking lot somewhere you know, right. <laughs> dear um, do you want to <laughs> shall I tell you what I'm thinking for next week oh wait we, let's, do, let's do the ratings first We've got to oh do the ratings, ratings sorry what, no it's fine ahead. yeah but I skipped ahead from Spawn and Six what, is, what are we <laughs> like all. this week what <laughs> are we like this week mate um, Drive on IMDB oh it's a, it's a high one 7.8 7.8 on IMDB wowzers that's Which, very high yeah it's decent for IMDB that isn't it um, Drive 2011 Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh ninety three percent. Wowzers! Seventy nine percent on the um, audience review on that one. Metacritic. Let's see what Metacritic is giving drive. I think. Do you know what I think we should do? Because we sort of we're quite inconsistent with our popcorns or not. I think the person 
like so because i chose drive you have to give drive the popcorns from us and then i'll do the same for your films right I think okay that, fair that can enough. Be our yeah. standardized format yeah. from now on. drive on metacritic as well 79 percent, 8.2 from the audience score universal acclaim very nice here's a few just uh so the san francisco chronicle mainstream audiences will probably be confounded by drive while lovers of gritty filmmaking will defend every exaggerated shotgun wound yeah there as you go art um new york magazine who didn't weren't as favorable about it said every bit as dumb as august conan the barbarian <laughs> but a wash in neon lot neon lit nightscapes and existential dread with killing so graphic you can entirely believe what you're gagging at um there you are there you go so very yeah. very on the money what, what are you uh what are you giving it mate popcorns the byob popcorn i'm gonna go I'm going to go 3.75. Because, oh, very specific. Because, super specific. <laughs> because I feel like it is in between. It's better than a 3.5. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. It's stunning. It's great. To, like, it's really entertaining. But I think we've put into like the four 4.5 category films that are like outrageously good. You know, mm. we've put in we put in the four to four point five bracket. Kind of, I think we had like Pulp Fiction as a four point five or a some four. Re- some real big boys. Yeah. Yeah. So like, kind of, I think this is just below. So three point seven five, rounding up to three point eight. It's a it's a good it's a good amount of popcorn, maybe sweet and salted at the same time. <laughs> Lovely, doubly, and <laughs> the moment the, the the highlight generally of my week, mate, is finding out. What we're going to be doing next week? Well, I'll bring it down. Um, we we spoke about David Fincher last week, so I'm going to be controversial here. I'm gonna I'm gonna seed the um, choosing territory and say I if you're happy for this to happen, I'd like to put the idea of two very big films into the mix, and I think we can kind of agree on one of them. We should do David Fincher. Is it seven or is it Fight Club? I feel like we we have spoke about Fight Club sometimes. I'm desperate to do it. I just didn't know if it was. You know when like you can't sometimes some things just feel too too kind of gargantuan in terms of like looming over you. Is it too big a film to take on? But I feel like you know 31 episodes. Maybe we're ready. What 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 I would say of Fight Club, right? As we did with Terminator Two. On to, um, God, what's the name of the bloody film? Fantastic. Oh, film. X Machina. Yeah. I think we've almost, you know, we've had this incelly nihilism foothold with Drive. Maybe, maybe that it could a be point. a good jump up to Fight Club to explore we're some at base of those camp. themes a bit. Now we're ready yes, for the summit. Exactly. Maybe we could explore some of those themes a bit more. Let's do it. I'm all in. Go I, I love right, it. It's one of my right, favourite films of all yeah, time. Yeah. Let's have it. I Fight haven't Club. watched it in years either. So. Oh, so good. So good. I'm up for that, um, mate. Reminder, at BYOB Pod, get in touch. A big one for this week is who's the MVP in Drive? Yeah. Um, we'd like to know, and we'll we'll put that on the pod next week. Thank you so much for listening. Like, uh, and subscribe, we'll reviews, bit. all those things. Like, like, like. Bye, bye, bye. Magnificent.